Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. You just got sharing your birthdays. Is uh, anybody have a birthday today? Raise your hand. Right over here. Happy birthday. Somebody needs to give her a present after the service. All right. So we are stoked that you guys are here with us today. Go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, Raise your hand. One of the ushers will get one to you. want to give a special shout out to all those joining us online. Super excited to have you tuning in with us today. Also inside your bulletins are sermon notes. Great way to track with us. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, that is in the New Testament. So uh, towards the back of the Bible, feel free to use the table of contents if you are looking for Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, as Chad said, last week we had 48 people get baptized right here. We also had a group of junior high students that went to Lake Tahoe for a camp, and we had eight junior high students get baptized in Lake Tahoe. How do you know when you're serious about your faith? You get baptized in cold water of Lake Tahoe, right? Can we give them a hand? Come on. All those junior hires making decisions. Uh, the water we baptize with is a lot warmer than that water, so just throwing that out there. Uh, super excited about today and what's going on in the life of our church. We had dozens of people making decisions last weekend. Dozens of people got baptized. And just really thinking about a passage of Scripture that would help us live out our mission statement of reaching and raising authentic followers of Jesus. We want to reach people where they're at in the midst of their sin, their rebellion, those that don't know God. We want them to, to make a decision for Christ. And then we want, we want to raise authentic followers of Jesus. Really, want to, we want to make disciples and uh, people that are deeply rooted in the Word of God, that have an ongoing, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So this passage, I'm confident, will speak to you if you've been a believer, a believer for one day or one week or maybe 50 years. I just believe that God has something powerful that he wants to say to you today. So with that said, let's stand and let's honor the reading of God's Word. We are in Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 17, this is all about the new life in Christ. Paul's already written to this church about their new identity, unity as believers. And then he, he says this in verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you have learned, heard about him and were taught in him as the truth of Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, it is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Heavenly Father, God, would you give us a hunger this morning to know your word and to live out your word. God, we, we want to be different. We don't want to just go through the motions. God, we want to have a real, authentic, growing, changing relationship with you because we love you. Would you, would you help us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite places to go and eat is Mongolian barbecue, all right? So uh, I love Mongolian barbecue because you can get one bowl at lunchtime and you literally, there's no limits. You load as much food as you possibly can in that bowl and they cook it and they give it back to you. And I like to go there because you can tell a lot about people when they go there. You know, if they're kind of like stingy or they just try to get everything. I used to go uh, just to the place down the street and I would get one bowl and I'd put a bunch of meat in there as much as I could. And then I'd get another bowl, put it on top, and I would literally crush it down. Why? Because you have more room for other stuff, right? Since then, uh, apparently I'm not the only one that does that, and they say, please do not use a second bowl to smash down your food, right, for whatever reason. But you can tell a lot about somebody that goes to a place like this and what their preferences are and how much they want to eat. Well, I took a buddy of, of mine here years ago, and he got uh, some meat, but he, he, got, he got more noodles than I've ever seen somebody get in my life. And he, he got the scooper of noodles and scooped it onto his bowl. And I was like, holy cow. This, this was, without exaggeration, like at least a pound of noodles. And uh, these, these noodles are uh, still, they're connected to the big tub of noodles. And I'm thinking, okay, wh wh how's he going to navigate this? And so he tries to use this tool and tries to kind of scoop them on there. It's not, it's not working. And without pausing, he gets out his hand. He go, does this. And he starts using his fingers to cut the noodles. And I'm just standing back, and I'm just like, backing up further. I'm like, I don't know this guy. This is just weird. This is different, right? And he goes to, and I, I told him later, I'm like, I got to say, I've seen some strange stuff in my life. I have never seen somebody use their fingers as a pair of scissors in a buffet line, right? That was different. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about di being different, not in a weird sort of way, but in a way that draws people's attention to Jesus. Think about Chick-fil-A, 2014. I was looking at this last week and uh, looking at the largest fast food chains in America. Uh, based upon a store-by-store -store comparison, Chick-fil-A uh, per store makes the most money, over $3 million per store more than McDonald's, more than Wendy's, more than Starbucks, all these places, and they're closed on Sundays. Doesn't make sense. Why are they closed on Sundays? Because the owner is a follower of Jesus Christ. They believe that there's a Sabbath, the seventh day is holy, it's set apart. They are different, doing something that doesn't make sense, but are hugely successful. Today, two words that I want you to remember. Be different. 
be different, be different. I believe that that is what Paul is calling us to. I believe that that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We're to be different than the world. We're to be different than those that that don't know Christ. We're to be different from culture. Not only that, for those of us that have been Christians for a long time, we're to be different than we were 10 years ago. We're to be different than we were five years ago. We're to be different than we were one year ago. Why? Because we've never arrived as a follower of Jesus Christ. We're to continue to grow, continue to allow God to change our hearts where we become more and more like Jesus. So today we're unfolding this passage that has so many nuggets of truth. But my prayer, my cry, my challenge, my encouragement is that when we leave here today, we would have this excitement. We would have this call on our lives where we believe and that we know that God has called us to be different. And so there's three different things that I want us to see in this text that Paul clearly lays out. Number one, we need to understand life apart from Jesus. We need to understand life apart from Jesus. Paul, in these first three verses, are talking about Gentiles. Gentiles are the people that do not know God. They live in such a way. They do things. They think things that demonstrate that they have zero relationship with Jesus. And Paul, again, in this passage, in these first couple verses, is going to say, hey, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, everything changes. When you are living for Jesus and no longer living for yourself, everything changes. It would kind of be like if Clayton Kershaw got traded to the San Francisco Giants, right? Some of you are saying like, yeah, that'd be cool. We take him. I bet you could right now, right? Uh, they, Giants need a little bit of help. But it would not go over well if a week after getting traded, Clayton Kershaw was still wearing a Los Angeles Dodgers hat. It would not go well if he was still wearing blue tennis shoes. Why? Because when something like that happens, everything changes. And that's what Paul is talking about in these first several verses. We need to understand life apart from Jesus. And he clarifies really two things. Number one, people are responsible for their spiritual condition. We are all personally responsible for our spiritual condition. At the end of the day, we will either accept or reject Jesus Christ. Yes, God has done all the work. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot work hard enough to earn our salvation, but we will either receive the grace of God through Jesus, or we will reject that. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's an invitation, this gift of Jesus to all of us. Again, we will either reject or receive Jesus Christ. We have no excuse for rejecting Jesus. In fact, Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. He said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Paul goes on and says this, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. We are personally responsible for our spiritual condition. And Paul talks about these Gentiles. He says, don't walk like the Gentiles, those that don't know God, 
uh, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Futile. Their minds are futile. What does that mean? It means that they are empty. It, it means that they do things in ways of behavior that bring no lasting satisfaction. They are darkened in their understanding. People of the world think that they're enlightened. Paul's saying that they're darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God. Why? Because they've chosen a life that continues to reject Jesus Christ. They're, they're alienated from God. He goes on and he says, not only that, but there's ignorance that is in them. Again, they are responsible for their ignorance. None of us have an excuse for rejecting Jesus Christ. And he says, because of the hardness of their heart. They've gotten to a point in their lives where their, their hearts are so hard. He takes that a step farther in the next verse, and he says, they have become callous. They have become callous. What is a callous? Many of you know what a callous is because you have them on your feet, Right? It's this, this area of skin where it's hard, it's tough. It means that this is a group of people where they can sin and they experience no pain. You can sin without batting an eye. There's no hurt, there's no pain, there's no second thought. They have become so callous where, where sin no longer hurts them or hurts others. And it def they definitely don't think it hurts God. We are personally responsible for our spiritual condition. Second of all, we are personally responsible for our sin. People are responsible for their sin. He goes on and says they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Here's a group of people that don't know God. Sensuality, all kind of sexuality in this culture in Ephesus. Se sexuality was was just commonplace. Prostitution all over the place, people having sex with um, whoever they wanted, whenever they wanted, it was just culturally accepted. And it says, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They, they were hungry for it. They wanted in every kind of sexual activity you could possibly think of. Paul says, you don't, you don't live this way. Paul says that you're different. Here's something that we, we often don't talk about much in the church because it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. So, so many of us, we've made decisions for Christ and we're trying to live for Christ, but there are areas of our life that we haven't dealt with. And one of the, the, the huge issues in the lives of so many Christians, if you just look at statistics, is this whole area of sexual immorality. This is any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. And uh, this is something that the church was struggling with. That's why Paul addressed it. And this is something that the church today continues to struggle with. And I, I just, I say that because of this. Um, I want Shelter Cove, again, I want our church to be different. And if you're in a, in a season of life where you're realizing, man, I, I do have some areas of my life in the area of my sexuality that I need to deal with, um, I, I'd love for you to talk to me, one of our pastors uh, I want this to be a safe place where you're not going to be judged, evaluated for maybe a sexual addiction or sin. Um, I've had several people over the last several years that have come up to me and have told me that they, they're addicted to pornography. And I've been able to give them some tools and help them uh, experience the freedom from God. We've got people that are involved in extramarital affairs, adultery, um, homosexuality, bisexuality, 
and again, if you've never gotten to a point in your life where you've dealt with some of that, I just want to encourage you to do that, to really say, God, even though it's hard, even though it's uncomfortable, I want to be different because I love you that much. When I was in college, it was great hanging out with guys that were coming to, to know Christ and had some really close friends. And uh, the sexuality was just, it was the biggest struggle. And I remember driving uh, to the college pastor. Uh, I was in the passenger seat. My buddy was in the front seat. And he said, I, I need to give something just to our college pastor. And back then, uh, pornography wasn't so much on the cell phone. It was videos and DVDs. And I remember him going to the trunk of his car and grabbing a huge paper bag of pornography and giving it to our college pastor um, because he was serious about being different in the area of his sexuality. He wasn't judged. Uh, I remember the college pastor just hugging him and just saying, hey, whatever you need, any help, uh, I want to give that to you. Um, I had another guy that moved, uh, a buddy of mine, and uh, he moved his bed out of his room where he was renting. He'd become a, a, a follower of Christ like three months earlier, and he moved his bed, and there was still stuff left over from different sexual encounters that he's had with other women. And he said, man, I just feel horrible. And I said, you're not the same man that you used to be. I said, that, that's all the past. I said, things changed. And there's something very freeing about dealing with those issues and struggles and addictions that maybe nobody else knows about, but in a room this size, so many of us are just dealing with those and struggling with those. And I just want to say here at Shelter Cove, this is a safe place for us to deal with the hurts and the pains and the addictions in our life. But Paul's first point that he wanted to communicate was we need to understand life apart from Jesus. And then the second point he goes on in this passage is he says, embrace new life in Jesus. So it goes from somebody's head and it drops down to their heart. And he, and he says very clearly, he says, but this is not the way that you learn Christ. In other words, that something's different about you. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and that we're taught with him as the truth is in Jesus. And I, and I love this because so often when we learn about something, we learn about a subject. Paul says you learned about a person. You, you learned about what it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You're not like those Gentiles that don't know God, alienated from a life of God, that are greedy to, to involve themselves in sinful behavior. You've learned about Jesus. He goes on and says this is what you heard about him. When, when you heard about the gospel, gospel is simply a word for good news. The good news is that Jesus saves, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin because we were all born with the disease of sin. We cannot save ourselves. So you, this isn't the way that, that you were taught. This isn't the way that you learned Christ. This isn't the way that you heard about him. And he goes through all of these, and he's saying you need to embrace this new life in Jesus. And he simplifies how to do that. A couple different steps. First of all, putting off the old self. And he says this. He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. He's saying that that was your former way of life. You don't live that anymore. It was corrupt through its deceitful desires. If you've got your own Bibles, circle deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. What are deceitful desires? They are sinful desires that we have that will never satisfy us. People that get involved in sexual addiction, they are never satisfied. People that get involved in stealing, you can never steal enough. People that get involved in lying, you can never lie enough. It never ends well. And he says, 
to take this off. He put it this way in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Paul said, up on the Jumbus Tron, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Paul's saying, you've, you've put that off, and yet at times those sinful desires, they want to creep back in. Those old habits, those old desires, those old longings. Paul's saying, you, 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 you take that off. Several years ago, uh, I went to a junior high camp uh, up, in the, up in the mountains, and it was great hanging out with junior hires and junior high boys and get back to the cabin after they've been playing all day and it's hot out, and 10 seconds later, it just stinks. All right, it doesn't stink, it stinks. And I have the deodorant talk, I have the hygiene talk, you know, all that kind of stuff. You need to shower, when's the last time you've showered, all that kind of stuff. And I noticed something interesting about a lot of junior high boys. They will get all sweaty and nasty and they will take their t-shirt off and they will put it back in their suitcase or bag right with their clean clothes. And they'll go shower and go to sleep and the next morning it's time to get up and they're half asleep and they'll pull out that same shirt they wore the day before and put it right back on. Some of you are thoroughly disgusted right now. I had to see it, all right? All right? You don't put on those old clothes. That's what Paul's talking about, that, that old life, that old self. He's like, it's disgusting. Don't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Put on the new clothes. Put on the new self. And we see that in these next several verses. He says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds... And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, putting on the new self. Paul's saying your mind has changed. Why repentance has changed, taken place and changed your mind? Repentance is this change of mind that literally leads to a change in direction. You're no longer pursuing yourself. You're now pursuing a relationship with Jesus. Your life is no longer all about yourself. Your life is now all about Jesus. You are putting on the new self. And that's what Paul is talking about. Sometimes we get concerned about what other people think of us. And that's the greatest reason why we don't put on the new self. Rick Barry, some of you basketball fans, know that he was amazing at free throws. How many of you know the way he shot free throws? Some of you. He has granny style. He would literally spread his legs like this and he'd hold the ball and he'd throw it up to the hoop. He shot about 90% in his life. Phenomenal as a free throw shooter. His son is now playing college basketball. For the first two years, he would not granny it because he was embarrassed about what other people would think. He would shoot just regular, shot in the 70s. He now, as a junior, got to a point where he doesn't care about what other people think. He now is spreading his legs a little bit, bending his knees, and doing it the granny style. His percentage has changed. It's increased. He's a lot more effective because he doesn't care about what other people think. For some of us, maybe the one thing that's holding us back is that we care more about what people think instead of what God thinks. Paul in this passage is, 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 is telling us, you need to understand that old life without Christ. You need to embrace with your heart this new life in Christ. And then thirdly, he says this, you need to demonstrate new life in Jesus. You need to demonstrate new life in Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're just thinking, I don't want to. I don't want to demonstrate. Maybe your prayer today is, God, would you help me want to want to demonstrate this new life in Jesus? 
because there are certain things that will be evident when we have this new life in Jesus. And I love this because as Paul addresses these five areas that I'm going to break down, he says you must no longer, and he talks about this sinful behavior, but, but there's, there's no option to be neutral. Christians cannot be neutral. Why? Again, because the call is to be different. Paul's saying you need to not just not sin, you need to be godly in the way that you live your life. And he starts by talking with truthful speech. Truthful speech. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. What's he saying? You need to stop lying. You need to tell the truth. Why? Because we're all members of one body. Trust is built on truth. You may want to write that down. That's not in your notes. Trust is built on truth. Here Paul's saying, you've you got to stop lying. There are people, uh, there are even some Christians where they don't realize just how much they lie. And most of the times when we lie, it's about us. We will lie because we're afraid to tell the truth, because we want to avoid responsibility, because we want to be liked, because we want to avoid punishment, because we want to influence people. And, and, and Paul's saying, now that you're a Christian, when it comes to your speech, be different. You don't lie anymore. You tell the truth. Why? Because when we speak truth, we imitate God. When we lie, we imitate Satan. Satan is the father of all lies. And he's simply saying, you know what? When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, everything changes. Second of all, what do we see? We see controlled attitudes. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, he is not saying here that you should never be angry. There are times in our lives where we should be angry. There are times in our lives where when we look at ourselves and we look at our sin, it should frustrate us. It should anger us. We say, you know what, God, how can I hurt your heart? How can I be okay with the sin in my life? There are times where we have loved ones and we look at their sin. That should anger us. But anger is always based upon a problem and not a person. Anger is always pointed towards a problem, sin, not a person. And most of the time when we get angry, it's at a person. I mean, when's the last time you've got angry over the own sin in your life? When's the last time you've heard one of your children just yell and get angry because of their own sin? To this day, I've never heard Hallie and Drew yell and get angry because of their own sin. I've heard them get angry at each other and yell, which they do a lot. I've never heard Drew or Hallie be like, I'm so mad at myself, right? Why? Because I, I lied to you, Dad. Be like, is everything okay with you, right? But when's the last time we've, we've done that? Most of the time our anger is based upon a person and not a problem. And Paul's saying, hey, it's not wrong to be angry. He's just saying, hey, in your anger, don't sin. And well, how do we do that? We deal with it quickly. We deal with it quickly says, don't let the sun go down. Don't give the, the, the enemy a foothold. Why? What happens? Bitterness creeps in. Resentment creeps in. 
Satan's great at forming wedges between us and others. He wants to create a divide in marriages, in churches. All of that happens when we let the sun go down in anger, on our anger. And it's not just talking about a, a, the, the, the literal sun, because if you lived in the Arctic, the sun doesn't go down for like two months, right? This is a time where he's saying, you know what? Deal with your anger quickly. And this is going to hit you right when you get home today. This, the, you're going to have a situation that pops up, and the temptation will be a, to, to get angry. I was getting ready for church this morning. I was ironing my shirt. I've told Hallie, Hallie, please stay out of our bedroom, especially with your iPad. She loves to FaceTime. And we've had a, an issue in the past where she's come in, and uh, I was in the shower, and she was FaceTiming somebody else. And it's like, seriously, Hallie. All right, uh, so I've made it very clear. Hallie, please stay out. So guess what happens this morning? Talking about anger. They're getting ready, not fully clothed. Hallie comes in again with her iPad. And um, I'm like, Hallie, seriously? And so she runs out of the room, and I'm like, who is it? And uh, it's my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. <laughs> hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. Uh, Hallie, we've had this conversation. My temptation was to right then get super angry already had this conversation with Hallie. And yet I, I said, Hallie, um, why, why did this happen? Trying to be gentle inside. I'm just like, seriously, girlfriend. Uh, yeah, right? Not just girlfriend, but girlfriend, right? It was just like, uh, girlfriend, come on. And uh, so she's like, but, but, my but grandpa told me that he wanted to see you and all that kind of stuff and something that my father-in-law would do. But, but in that moment, my temptation was just to get super angry. And here he's saying, in your anger, do not sin. Thirdly, he goes on and says, you need to be somebody that's giving and not taking. You need to be somebody that's giving and not taking. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, why was Paul saying this? Because the culture, again, people would have the tendency to steal. Uh, lots of times there were people that had seasonal jobs and for them to feed their families or them to get what they wanted, they didn't have work, so it was, just, it was just easy to steal. And here again, Paul says, hey, I want you to not just not steal. I want you to work in an honest way, but I also want you to, to make money, not so that you can get, but so that you can give. See, everything changes. But Paul, again, is saying, I want you to be different when it comes to your work ethic. I want you to come, be different when it comes to your motivation for why you work. He's saying you're, you're no longer a getter, you're a giver. I love Zacchaeus chapter 19 in Luke. He's a guy that was a tax collector, ripped people off, stole, comes to know Jesus Christ, and he becomes a giver instead of a getter. And I don't even know if that's a word, getter, but uh, I just used it. Giver instead of a getter. If you could have somebody compliment you on your work, for them to say that you are an honest worker, and a hard worker. Those would be two of the greatest compliments you could have. Hey, I trust you completely, and you work hard. We've got a lot of great employees here at the church, and uh, we've got a, a lady named Candy that works up in the accounting office. She handles all the finances here at the church, and she is one person that is one of the most, she's one of the hardest workers I know. And she is an honest employee. You talk about integrity. You talk about accountability. She's living out this scripture right here. So just super thankful. But that needs to be said about all of us. Why? Because we're choosing to be different. He goes on and he says two more things. He says there needs to be appropriate speech. He says let no corrupt talk 
come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul's saying there, there, there can't be lying, obscenity, abusive language, gossip, flattery that malip, uh, manipulates, mocking, judgmental words. All of these things need to not take place in the life of a Christian. Why? Because you're different. He said it needs to, to give grace. It needs to build up. It needs to fit the occasion. Three things that you can use to kind of filter conversations that you may have. You can write these down. Number one. What's my motive? When you say something, what's your motive? If it's about yourself, it's, if it's to prove a point, if it's to make you look good, maybe you need to not open your mouth. What's my motive? Second of all, what's the impact? Is it going to build them up or is it going to tear them down? How would these words impact me if somebody else said them? What's my motive? What's the impact? And then thirdly, I love this one. What would Jesus say? Boy, we filter our words through that. It will change the conversations that we have. There needs to be appropriate speech. And then, fifthly, how does Paul call us to be different? We need to demonstrate forgiveness. We need to demonstrate forgiveness. He says in verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a person that we can hurt. It's the third member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three equal people, one God. Say, don't, don't hurt. This, the, the Holy Spirit literally lives inside of you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't do things. Don't live in such a way where you grieve and hurt the Holy Spirit based upon the things that we've already covered, but also by the list of things that he's about to say. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with, along with all malice. Those are all things that happen in our life when we refuse to forgive. And there's this downward progression in verse 31. It starts with somebody that's bitter. And then there's this wrath. And then there's some anger. And then you just want harm to happen to somebody. And that's what happens when we refuse to forgive. Again, Paul's saying, be different. Be different. So I was leaving this morning on the way out of the house. I got to talk to Hallie quickly. I'd sent her to her room. Boy, just, just trying to live this out. Just saying, hey, Hallie, Daddy forgives you. I'm not going to talk about it again. I'm not going to bring it up. I said what I needed to say. She knows. I'm sure Kelly closed the loop and had the conversation she needed to and realized that it was more maybe her father-in-law's fault, not hers. Um, trying to be gracious. My father-in-law's a weird man. One of the, the greatest commitments that I've, I've been able to make, and it's, it's, it's hard at times, it's, it's, it's really hard at times. It's just to live out verse 32. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you. God has forgiven me so freely, so lovingly. So to this day, as I stand up here on the stage, I do not have bitterness towards anybody. I don't have resentment towards anybody. Um, I've been hurt. I've been wounded. But to forgive other people the way that God has forgiven me has been maybe the single most powerful thing I've ever done in my life. And again, that, that is not easy. And I have not been 
hurt and wounded as deeply as some of you. Well, boy, where there is forgiveness, there is freedom. And don't, don't misunderstand me. Just because uh, we forgive doesn't mean that there's not still hurt and pain in our lives. Just because we've forgiven doesn't mean that we shouldn't have boundaries in our lives. Just because we've forgiven somebody doesn't mean that we're going to forget what they did. All right? Those, the, some of those are just myths. When we forgive somebody, we're, we're forgiving somebody the way that God forgave us. It's freely it's completely, it's motivated by love. It's with a goal of restoration. Now, that restoration doesn't always happen. Paul said, as far as it depends on me, I'm gonna live at peace with all men. But boy, for us to be different, according to Paul, according to God, is, is to be people that forgive each other, to forgive each other. We need to understand life apart from Jesus we need to embrace new life in Jesus, and we need to demonstrate new life in Jesus. Two questions as we wrap this up. Number one, what needs to change? Maybe it's your speech, maybe it's your attitude, maybe it's your work ethic, maybe it's giving and not getting, maybe it's, maybe it's forgiveness. How do you know? You just ask God. You ask God. You love him enough where you ask him, God, is there anything in my life that needs to change? I had the privilege to go to dinner with Kelly on Friday night and just, just love just going out to dinner with Kelly and just, it's just us and no kids and don't have to worry about somebody FaceTiming me randomly or anything like that. <laughs> and uh, we, we just started talking and great, great conversation to have. I would encourage you to have it with your spouse. Um, I said, Kelly, if, if, if a week's rolled around and and you feel loved by me and valued by me, um, what things would have happened during the week that I personally would have done that would have made you feel that way? Now, the, the deeper issue in that is I'm, I'm asking myself the question, what needs to change? What needs to change in my own life? And she responded, and um, four hours later, we were... Uh, Eating dessert, it was, a great, it was a great conversation. Why do I do that? Because I love my wife. Why would you ask Jesus what needs to change? Because you love him. You love him. Any, anything in our lives that needs to change, God, my heart, my motives, my desires. And then lastly, um, what commitment do you need to make today? Because it's one thing to know what needs to change. It's another thing to make a commitment. And I've found the most powerful way to make a commitment is to tell God and other people. So if you've got an uh, issue with your speech, to say, you know what, God, I, I need you to help me with my speech. And again, please don't misunderstand me. We're not quite done yet. This is not behavior modification. This, this, this takes place only with the power of the Holy Spirit, only with a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are going to mess up, we are going to fail, and we walk in God's grace and his forgiveness but we are committing to, to living a life where we say, God, I, I want to be different, and I realize that you need to change my heart, change my motivation, change my thinking, because I just want to be the person that you want me to be. Three months ago, I told you a story of a junior high boy who was at school that goes to our church. He, he was hanging out with another big guy. This big guy came up to him and slapped him in the face a couple times. Uh, Dad found out about it. The... Dad asked his son, again, who goes here, what did you do? 
I was thinking, you know, this is dad. Hey, did you fight back? Did you hit him back? He said, I invited him to church. We want to talk about being different. He invites this boy to church. It was a Friday night activity. Um, they played Nerf guns and all that kind of stuff. Brought him there again, probably so he could shoot him with a Nerf gun. Uh, so they came here. He came on a Sunday morning that, ne- that, that next, two days later. He gave his life to Jesus Christ because somebody decided to be different. Last week, he went to junior high camp. The same boy that slapped this kid in the face that got invited to church that gave his life to the Lord, got baptized in Lake Tahoe. Why? Because you've got a junior high boy that said, you know what? I don't want to be like the world. I want to be different. I want you to be different. I want to be different. I want our church to be different. That can only happen with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow and let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I will be the first to admit and to confess that there are areas of my life that, God, I just, I just need to be different. God, I, I thank you for the way that I controlled my anger this morning, but would you continue to, to help me not to just snap at stuff? God, for my brothers and sisters in this room, God, whether it's, it's words whether it's an attitude, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's a sexual addiction of some sort, a hidden sin, it's lying. God, would you help us to want to be different? And God, we know we can't muster just all this strength in and of ourselves. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Would you move in our hearts? Would you encourage us? Would you convict us? For sin, do you inspire us? God, we, we want to live in such a way where culture may say, you know what, don't really like Christians. But I like those people that go to Shelter Cove because they're different. They're different. Help us to be different for your glory and your honor and your praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.